0: Good morning everybody and welcome back. It is Tuesday, February the 7th, 2023. I hope that everybody had a wonderful Monday yesterday and uh, that your week is looking bright and beautiful. Boy, it was a nice day yesterday. It was very mild, especially here for the and especially after uh, Friday and Saturday. My goodness, Saturday was was really, really cold. but anyway, I'm glad that, that things seem to be moving towards spring. I say that. I guess I'm glad. One of the things I love about living here in the Valley of Virginia is the seasons are very distinct, and the winter feels like the winter, and the spring feels like the spring. But all of that being said, time is marching on, and I'm glad that I'm here while it marches. I hope that you are doing well, um, I'm excited about where we are today. We are getting ever so closer to finishing out the gospel according to John. Yesterday, we were with Jesus and Thomas, right? Jesus, the resurrected Lord, appeared to Thomas after Thomas said, unless I see him, and it wasn't even enough for Thomas to see him. Thomas said, unless I put my hands in his side. Now, this is this is chapter 20. He said to them, um, Verse 25, after they said, we've seen the Lord, Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now, after this, Jesus waited a week to show back up. Uh, The disciples are amazed at seeing him again. He says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And there we see Thomas affirms not only Jesus' status as Lord, but also affirms the the, the divinity of Christ yet again. Let us be done with this idea that Jesus is not God. But also let us see that though Thomas did indeed doubt, Thomas also confessed. And then we get this very interesting passage. And this is where we're really going to pick up today. It's in John chapter 30 before we get into verse or chapter 21. But let's pray, and then we will dig in. Our Father, please be with us now as we come to your word, as we're really coming to a close of the gospel according to John. Help us to understand what is presented here and why it is presented here. Guide us by your Holy Spirit and convict us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, as you may have remembered, and I've referenced this somewhat lately, there are those that view John's gospel as a corrective gospel, okay? That the whole reason John wrote was to correct the problems in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That is a ludicrous idea, not factual in the slightest bit, all right? However, um, there are those that say, okay, well, maybe not. It's a corrective gospel, but most certainly it wasn't written by John. And the reason that they say that is because they believe a Johannine school, you know, John being the root of Johannine. In other words, it was a group of disciples that were followers of John that actually compiled the gospel according to John, and they, they just gave John credit for it. Now, one of the reasons that people say that is because, number one, They think that John was written long after we know it was written, right? We know that it was obviously written at the end. Um, It's the latest of all the Gospels, but it was written by the Apostle John himself, right? He gives himself credit as authorship for the authorship. We believe that the Bible is true. But there's a lot of scholars that supposedly know better and say, oh, no, 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 no. John was written much later than than we actually think it was, but certainly not in the first century or or close thereto, nothing like that. It would have been several hundred years after all this took place. And one of the evidences that they cite is the ending for why John did not write the gospel according to John. You see, to these people that are way too smart for God in the Bible— Anyway, for these people, they look at the end of John 20 and they say, well, there you go. Obviously, that's the ending of the gospel according to John. And they say that because of what we find at the very end of chapter 20. Look at verse 30. It says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, I'll admit, okay, it's not poetry, but at the same time, if you want a nice, tidy ending, you would be hard-pressed to find something better than this. I mean, think of the books that you might have read that have fabulous endings, and, and all sorts of different books came to mind. But really and truly, y'all, this is a masterful ending, if it was the end. But John's not done here. He simply dropped back, and he's referenced why he has written what he has written. That's it. That's, That's all that's going on here, okay? And in fact, this is not unique even to this portion of John, One could make the same argument that the gospel according to John should end back in chapter 19, verse 35, because 1935 says the man who saw it, and he's referring to the crucifixion, right? John 1935, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. You know, cue the music, right? The curtain's close. That, too, would be not a great ending, but the wording makes it sound like it's an ending, but actually be a horrible ending because that's before Jesus rises from the dead, right? But nevertheless, you can make that argument, but it's not a good one. Instead, listen to what John has been saying. There in chapter 19, he's testifying because he believes. He wants you to believe. The end of chapter 20, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Not only does John close this small section with that, but he's telling you why he's written the entire gospel, right? Right? His rationale behind what he included and what he didn't include. And by the way, for those things that are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that don't make it into John, doesn't what he just said fit perfectly into verse 30? Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. It doesn't mean that if Matthew, Mark, and Luke include something, or if Matthew includes something that Mark and Luke don't, and that John does, there is no contradiction. There's none. It's just what they chose to include. Now, <clears throat> the question of why they chose to include what they include is a different story altogether. This falls under the, uh, the banner of God breathing out his word and the divine mystery. And it is a divine mystery between human authorship on one hand, right? That very clearly, this is the gospel according to John. This is John writing this, so it's human authorship, and we see John's personality, we see John's uh, nuances, if you will, we see the things that he hangs up on, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but the things that he really focuses on. Take even, for instance, the fact that he's still using the term sign instead of miracle. You know, for John, everything that Jesus did was a sign pointing to Jesus' authenticity. We just don't get that tone from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that's okay because John's the one that wrote this. So, on the one hand, human. But on the other hand, right, this is God's word breathed out. Second Timothy three, all scripture is God breathed or breathed out by God. So, it's this divine mystery and balance between human authorship. And divine authorship, where God is the ultimate author, where there are many, 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 many uh, sections of it, but God's word is one. Many stories, one book. Many different authors for the many different stories, all 66 of them, but ultimately one author. And that's the only thing I can point to to explain chapter 21. I mean, there, there are some very valuable lessons here, but again, chapter 20 would have been a great ending. But that's not where it stops. So how does John end his gospel? Chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward. Now, afterward is a broad term. It's not like it was earlier, right? So chapter 20, verse 1. Early, on the first day of the week. Chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week. Then you have Thomas. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again all we get after this is afterward, right? Probably not a large amount of time has transpired between Jesus dealing with Thomas and, and the end of chapter 20 and the start of chapter 21, but it just says afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, yeah, that same Thomas we dealt with yesterday, Nathaniel, From Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now, time out. What's going on here? And why is it noteworthy enough for John to not end at chapter 20 and to keep on going into chapter 21? Well, all if you look at it in terms of the timeline and in terms of the things that Jesus handled, we see that there is one major, major loose end, two really. The first of which is getting his disciples pointed in the right direction. We know that from chapter 19, um, verse 21 Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. All right? So, great commission here. Jesus is sending them out, but it's very broad. And then he gives them the Holy Spirit, and then that's it. But there's another loose end. And no, it's not Thomas. Thomas definitely was a loose end back in chapter 20, because the disciples are saying, hey, look, the risen Lord, and Thomas is saying, I don't believe it. And I'm not going to believe it until I see him, until I put my hands in his side and so forth, right? Well, the Lord comes back and he deals with Thomas. Is there anyone that you can think of that the Lord hasn't dealt with? And all the key events that took place, it's not Judas. Judas was dealt with, right? But by, by this time, Judas is in hell, as in Judas has been dealt with. Committed suicide, he's in hell. And no, not because he committed suicide per se, but because that I am not on right now, and I don't want to just babble to myself. Maybe it's working, maybe it's not. I'm just going to pretend as though I am blissfully unaware if it's not working. But, y'all, what do we have from this? Well, we have this fascinating interaction between Jesus and his disciples, where it really appears as though Peter is reverted back to who he was before he ever even knew Jesus. And you'll notice what happened. Now admittedly, it had been a few years since Peter had been a professional fisher fisherman, right, but it's not as if fishing was slow that night; they caught nothing and I think there's a lesson here for us and 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 if and again, this is my opinion about what's going on here with Peter. This is him prior to being restored. this is him prior to being told to feed the Lord's sheep, right. I don't see a, any other plausible, reasonable explanation for this. But if I am, I am wrong, there is a lesson for life here. And it's this if you're doing something the Lord doesn't want you to do, don't expect yourself to be productive in it. you hear me? If you are doing something that the Lord doesn't want you to do, don't expect to be productive in it. Y'all, I believe that the reason they caught nothing all night was because after Peter said, I'm going to fish. This was the Lord's way of working out the uh, paradigm of, no, I've called you to do something else. Remember that whole become a fisher of men business? Well, nevertheless, whether Peter had forgotten, whether Peter had willingly turned his back on it, or maybe this is just innocent old fishing, we see the Lord's intervention. And it was John the one who Jesus loved that recognized the Lord and he called out. And where we find Peter is, that same Peter who had denied Jesus three times. He just jumps in the water and takes off. This is where we will pick up tomorrow. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray your blessings on it. Help us to evaluate what we are doing and why we are doing what we are doing. Let us trust in you alone, not revert to who we were before we knew you. Instead, let us keep our vision trained on you and on your mission for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Let's see. Oh, okay. It was okay all along, maybe, or it paused for a second, but nevertheless, it's all good. I see Wayne. Good morning, brother. And there's Becky and Alice, and there is Elizabeth and Mary Ann. Good morning. And there's Roberta and Becky and Christine and Shirley. Thank you for that heads up. Um, Again, thank you all for being here. Lord willem, we'll see you tomorrow at 7. And uh, this week, This week, I'm telling you, this week is the week we will finish up the gospel according to John. I hope you all have a wonderful Tuesday.